0: It's good to see you here this morning. For those of you that don't know me, my name's Dave, one of the pastors here at Sovereign Grace, the guy that's been talking to you for about 10 minutes is Brendan, one of the other pastors here at Sovereign Grace. Thanks so much for being here and are part of our service. Maybe you are regulars or maybe you are visitors this morning on our Are You Okay Sunday. It is a pleasure to have you amongst us. And I'd be grateful if we'd turn our Bibles, please, to Mark chapter five. If you don't have a Bible, That's cool. It's going to come up on the screen and to help you anyway. But I really felt the Lord put on my heart this morning this message for us. We're actually going through the Gospel of Luke at the minute, but wanted to interrupt that series to give this special message on this Are You OK Sunday? You see, maybe you are sitting here and you are already thinking, Man, I could never join this church because these people are probably perfect in every way. <laughs> I know these people. Um, they are not perfect in every way, and they are led by imperfect pastors as well. You are sitting amongst friends if you are not okay, because we're not really okay. The difference is that we understand we're not okay, and we understand the need for a savior. And that's the one I want to introduce you to this morning. So I've called this message, There's Always Hope. And we're going to read together Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. This is the word of the Lord. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately they met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of the pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pig's. And everyone marvel. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you for this story that is in your word. Lord, we recognize that this is a story that you have breathed out, and you've breathed it out for us, scribed by Mark for our good and your glory. Lord, I pray then that you would help me to open up this text this morning. Would it be as if we are there? Would we get into the story and would we appropriately see our faces? In Jesus' precious name, amen. If there is one day in history that as you think about the words, I wish I'd been there, come to your mind, I wonder what day you would pick. That's the question that Byron Hollinshead had, gr- had, had a group of historians answer um, for his book in 2006. Byron wrote to a group of historians and simply asked them, if there was a day in history that you wish you'd been there for, what would it be? Please write to me about it. And they came up with very various historic days, and they did indeed put a book together called I Wish I'd Been There. But what about you? What day would you pick? If you could pick any day in history, what day would you go back to to be a fly on the wall to see what has taken place? Maybe you would pick a historical day. Maybe 1968 and the day where Dr. Martin Luther King gave his I Have a Dream speech on the Washington Monument. Maybe you would have loved to have been there to see this man, this leader of the civil rights movement, proclaim this speech in a way that changed a nation and in part began to change the world when it comes to understanding race. Maybe you would love to be there to see that and to witness that for yourself. or Maybe you would love to go back to 1953 and the day that Queen Elizabeth II enjoyed her coronation. By the time she was actually crowned as queen, she'd actually already been a queen for a year. In Britain, there's a period of mourning before you actually have a coronation. Maybe you would love to go back to 1953 and see that moment, which we've all seen in black and white. But that moment where a crown is put on her head and she begins to be the reigning monarch of the United Kingdom and of the Commonwealth. And she does so for 70 years. Maybe you would love to sit beside her in that moment and let her know, you are going to make an incredible queen. Maybe you'd love to go back there. Or maybe you'd love to go back to May the 8th, 1945. V.E. Day in Europe. The day when World War II came to an end as Nazi Germany finally surrendered unconditionally to the British. Maybe you'd love to go to the streets of London on that day, or the streets of New York, The ticker tape parade and everybody's laughing and clapping because for six years they've had war in these countries. But now it's finished. They've won. It is done. Maybe you'd love to be amongst the crowd in that moment celebrating, hugging strangers because you're aware it's finally finished. And maybe you'd pick a personal day. Maybe the day that your grandparents met for the first time. their eyes came across the room to one another. Or maybe the day when your parents got married. Days in your own history that you're aware if they had never happened, there would be no you. And so you'd love to go back to see those days of where it all began, realizing you're a product of those days. There are so many days in history and in our lives that would actually be really fun to go back to, would they not? And if you're a Christian I think there's many biblical days that we'd love to go back to as well, isn't there? Days in history that you think, I wish I'd been there. Mike Edwards is a big fan of The Chosen. If you don't know what The Chosen is, go speak to Mike. He will will party political broadcast it to you. It is a great series because you start to feel like you're walking with Jesus. And there's certain days in the life of Jesus that you wish you could go back to, that you wish you could experience. And this day that we have before us in Mark chapter 5, I submit to you, is without doubt one of them. One of those days that if you pay attention to what's going on here, the only conclusion is, I wish I had been there. You see, this day actually begins in Mark chapter 4 with Jesus calming a storm. Jesus has made the decision that he wants to go over to the country of the Gerasenes, which you see at the start of chapter five. But that actually starts in chapter four with Jesus asking his disciples, "Row me to the other side of the Sea of Galilee because I want to go to the country of the Gerasenes, Gentile country." They start rowing. Jesus has a nap. Halfway through the nap, a great storm comes, and all the disciples are wetting themselves. They think they are going to die. They're rowing. They're not getting anywhere. All they can see Jesus doing is having a nap. They cannot believe it. He's sleeping and we're all going to die. They shake him. They wake him up. You've got to get up. We're in a storm here. It's going crazy. Jesus, shaking his head, calmly stands up and he says to the storm, peace, be still. And in a moment, every wave turns flat. The wind dies down. The clouds clear. It's one of the most incredible points in scripture because this is a moment where they were afraid in the boat, but by the time Jesus does this, they are even more afraid. (laughs) They're not afraid of the storm anymore. They're afraid of what on earth just happened there. R.C. Sproul describes the scene this way. He says, what is significant about this scriptural story is that the disciples' fear increased after the threat of the storm was removed. The storm had made them afraid, but Jesus' action to still the tempest made them even more afraid. In the power of Christ, they met something more frightening than they had ever met in nature. For they were in the presence of the holy. And so they were. One minute they think they're going to die. The next minute realize they're not going to die because the storm has gone. But who are you? What is this all about? Even the wind and the waves obey your voice. They are standing in the presence of the holy and they are afraid. Well, they get to the other side right here at the start of chapter five. They pull the boat in. I want you to picture the the scene. There's 12 of them, okay? They are soaking, dripping wet. They are as white as a sheet. They just thought they would die. And now they've just had this guy stand up and say, peace be still, and the storm's gone. They are really working out what on earth has happened here. They're beginning to have a debrief as a group, starting to dry themselves off. When this demon-possessed man shows up from nowhere, comes screaming towards them and throws himself at Jesus' feet. They must have been wondering, what on earth is going to happen now? The day has already been really bad. Who's this guy? And that's the scene as we start Mark chapter 5. Two points then this morning. Number one, the moment attended. I want us to examine the text and get into the story because it is without doubt a moment that you wish we had been there for. And number two, the moment applied. This does apply to us. There's a reason why Mark has written it in the scriptures for us. And the reason I submit to you, I think, is this. To help us understand that whoever we are, and whatever our story. In Jesus. We all have a hope. I don't know you all here this morning. I don't know why you're all here. But I guarantee to you. In Jesus. You have a hope. That's why this is here. Point one then. The moment attended. And what a moment It was, they come to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. Let's read together verses two through five. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately they met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountain, mountains, he was crying out and cutting himself with stones. If ever there was a man who was not okay, it's this guy. In verses 3 to 5, we, Mark provides us with a description of this demon-possessed man, and you quickly discover his condition is both desperate and horrific. James Edwards, in his commentary, says, The description of the demaniac is one of the most lamentable stories of human wretchedness in the Bible. He is a terror to himself and others, and even in life he is consigned to the land of the dead. There, wailing among the tombs, he wreaks havoc on himself day and night. And Mark's vocabulary throughout is both raw and brutal." And so it is. This man's condition is both horrific and desperate in every single way. At first, it would appear in verse three that this man was compliant with the townspeople. They would go up and they would chain him. And he would say, yeah, I'm comfortable with that. I understand. I don't want to hurt anybody. But would appear over the years, his condition has got worse because now no one can help him. The chains, he just snaps to pieces. He seeks to cut himself with stones because he's got to get the demons out. He's got to get the pain gone. This man's situation could not be worse. Night and day he spends time crying out and cutting himself with stones. This man is enduring a desperate and horrible condition. This man is not okay. He's horrendous. He resides among the dead. He lives among the tombs. He lives in a cemetery. He lives with dead people. He is in total captivity to the demons. He can't control himself anymore. The demons have taken over his body. And he is totally beyond the capacity of any human help. People have tried. They can't help him. He is not okay. And in verse 6 then, as Jesus comes into shore, this man runs towards him, scared and naked and bloodstained and demon-possessed. He sees Jesus and he runs towards him from afar, and then he falls down at his feet. He's lying prostrate before Jesus. And the disciples are all there, drying themselves off, trying to debrief on what just happened with the storm. Wondering what on earth is going to happen now with this guy. D.A. Carson writes the following about the scene. He says, this was unlike anything they, meaning the disciples, had previously experienced. This was not someone sitting quietly in a synagogue until aroused by Jesus' preaching. No, the sight of this maniac must have been frightening to them. What were they thinking? Surely it crossed their minds what Now, Oh, without doubt, it crossed their minds, what on earth is happening now? We're wet, we're soaked, we're wondering what Jesus has just done with his stilling of the storm. Now this guy rocks up, screaming, cutting himself, scared, throwing himself in front of Jesus. What's going to happen now? Well, the demons that are controlling this man, it would appear, are asking the same question. In verse 7, We read, and crying out with a loud voice, he, meaning the demons, said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. See, the demons are totally and utterly aware of who Jesus is. They know that Jesus is the son of the most high God. And that is why even now they tremble before him. These demons that are taken over this poor man's body are now lying in front of Jesus. Why? Because they know you're the king. You're the sovereign one of all. You have all authority under heaven and earth. You, in effect, are my boss. (laughs) They understand they are under the control of another. They tremble before him because they know you, Jesus, have such great authority. And they're right. He does. This is the king. So this is what happens in verse 9. So Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. What we discover in that verse is the sheer size and strength of this demonic force that has taken over this man. This isn't like a one demon thing. This is demons Why is he called legion? See, in a Roman legion, a Roman legion would number 6,000 soldiers. What we are understanding then at this point is this man is literally riddled with demons. They are entirely filling his body. This is a significant show of demonic strength concentrated into this one man. This isn't then some random demon taking over somebody's body in the synagogue and he says, be still, get out. This is a man riddled with demons. This is an c- incredible show of demonic strength in this one man, but pay attention. This demonic strength is now lying in front of Jesus saying, but you're the boss. Because it is also without doubt a show of the authority and the power of Jesus Christ, is it not? Because in a single sentence, Jesus demands that they come out and demand and come out, they do. Jesus is a complete control throughout. In Verse thirteen, Jesus grants their request to be sent into a herd of pigs. Why does he why does he do that? I have no idea. The Bible doesn't tell us. You know what? Maybe it is to show everyone that is in the crowd in this moment the enormous quantity of demons that have been in this man. The sub two thousand pigs now running, herding. Have you ever seen a pig stampede? No, because they don't usually. But they do when they're demonized. 2,000 pigs running headlong because they are going crazy. Why? Because there are demons in them. Maybe it was to show everyone around them the sheer number of demons. or Maybe it was to demonstrate and assure this man that you have been healed and every last one of them has come out and there they go. I don't know. But what I do know is that Jesus is the one who is sovereign over all. He's the one who can say to sickness, which has already happened earlier on in the Gospel of Mark. He's the one that can say to the leper, you are healed. He's the one that can say to the paralytic, you are healed, stand up and walk. He's the one that says to the man with the withered hand, stretch out your hand, you are made well. Jesus has complete sovereignty and authority over sickness. He has complete sovereignty and authority over nature, which is why he can say, peace be still to the storms and every molecule of water obey his voice. And he is completely sovereign and has full authority over all demonic forces. Because when he tells you to leave, you leave. Because he's the king. He's the sovereign of all and of all. He is the son of the most high. And so he demands that these demons come out, go into 2,000 pigs. They run as a herd, headlong, straight over the cliff, and they all die. Well, the locals are obviously rather shocked, as you would be if your local herd of pigs has just hurtled over the edge of a cliff. Look with the verse 14 and 15. The herdsmen fled and told it to the city and the country, And the people came out to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. There's a bit of a theme here, isn't there? You encounter the power of Jesus and you end up afraid. That's what is happening here with the locals. The locals come out to see what has taken place. And what has taken place is inconceivable to them. This is the man that just a few months earlier, they couldn't chain or shackle anymore. This man was so riddled with demons. But now this man is sitting there with clothes on, chatting away as if like, hey, I'm pretty sweet. And why is he doing that? Because he's okay. This man who is not okay is now profoundly okay. They're not okay. They're afraid. But he's perfectly fine. This man has had his life completely transformed by the Lord Jesus Christ, and as a result, they are afraid. And what comes next in verse 17, I submit to you, is one of the saddest verses in the entire Bible. This is what they say. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Oh, what a tragedy. You see, they were so afraid by what has taken place that they tragically missed the who and the why. You would expect at this moment, given the reality of what's happened to this man, that a party would be breaking out. He's got healed. I mean, this is amazing. That dude that we used to tie up at the top of the cliff, he's fine now. This is amazing. You would think a party would break out. You'd think revival would be breaking out. Jesus, who are you? Why have you come? Tell us everything. We have never met anybody like you before in our lives. But it doesn't. They're so afraid that they simply say, go. It's such a tragedy. And the truth is, 2,000 years on, people still do it today. They encounter Jesus, they see him in his greatness, and they go, it's too much for me. Leave such a tragedy, the only one that can make you okay, is the one we so often shove out of our faces. The answer to everything is the one that we so often think is the cause of our problems. You would have expected a party to break out, a revival, but it doesn't. But it does in this man's heart. Look at verse 18. It says, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. This man's response then is so different from the response of the crowd. Because while the crowd begs him to leave, this man begs Jesus to let him go with him. I want to be with you. See, quite clearly what this man is doing in this moment is saying, hey Jesus, Jesus, listen, wait up. I'm not with him. I disagree with him. I don't know what's got into their mind. I'm with you. I want to come with you. Let me in the boat. Hey guys, move over. I'm coming in. He wants to be with him. This man wants to be a disciple of Jesus. He wants to be with Jesus. He wants to walk with Jesus. And make no mistake, he has become a disciple of Jesus. But as his disciple, that the time is not now that he'll be with Jesus. Verse 19. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Somewhat surprisingly then, this, this man was not permitted to join Jesus. Jesus didn't permit him to come with him because, quite frankly, he had other plans for him. In this moment, effectively, he's saying to him, listen, one day you will be with me. One day in the heaven to come, you will walk by my side. One day we will never be separate again. You can come in my boat every day. But right now, I've got a job for you to do. I need you to tell people about me. I need you to tell people about what I have done for you. Because there are many in this world that don't know my name. I have come to seek and save the lost. As the Father has sent me, so now I send you. you got a job to do. And it would appear that this man, in sharing his faith and sharing his testimony, does a wonderful job. Verse 20 we read, And he went away. And began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. It would appear that this man was wonderfully effective at sharing his story. The Decapolis is the ten cities that are in and around this country area. It would appear he's gone to them one by one and said, hey, let me tell you about a man who changed my life. And don't go thinking this is Jewish territory. This is Gentile territory. This is Sydney that we're looking at here, okay? He's going, he's going to Sydney and he's just walking around saying, listen, let me tell you about a man that has changed my life. And it would appear that people are hearing and they marvel. They're affected by these words. They want to meet this Jesus for themselves. They want their lives to be changed like this man's was. What a day. What a day this would have been to be there for, would it not? This man started the day as a maniac. He finishes the day as a messenger. He starts the day prostrate before Jesus because he is so filled with demons. But he ends the day fully clothed as a proclaimer of Christ because Jesus has changed his life. And he wants to tell everybody about the story of meeting the one who had completely changed his life. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there to see this? I would have loved to have been there just to see the look on the disciples face all the time. One day I'm going to hopefully get it played back to me and I'm going to take the mick out of them as if I would have done different, but I wouldn't. I would have loved to have seen what they look like in the boat. I would have loved to have seen the look on their faces as they get out the boat thinking I'm never going in a boat with him ever again. Whoa, who's this dude? I would have loved to see Jesus change this guy's life. I wish I'd been there. Well, I thank God that through the gift of writing and through Mark's authorship, which is ultimately God breathed, the Bible tells us, we do still have it today for us. We have this story to be read and taught and preached about. And my friends, it's here because we're meant to apply it. It's here because it has a story to tell us. And that's my second and final point the moment applied. Why is it here? It's here to teach us that whoever you are and whatever your story, in Jesus, we all have a hope. See, maybe you've arrived here today and you feel hopeless. Maybe you've arrived here today and you are not okay, which is why you have come. Maybe your life feels all over the place. I want to encourage you, whoever you are, whatever your story, in Jesus, we all have a hope. And we see that in two ways. First of all, we need to understand that in Jesus hope has come. And it has. Those verses that Brendan wonderfully read out for us earlier on, Matthew 11 verse 28 says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. We long for that, do we not? When we are not okay, 99% of the time, what we are saying is, I am not at rest. I am not peaceful. My heart is all over the shop. I'm struggling. It might be physically, it might be emotionally, but the fruit is we are not at rest. We are weary, we are struggling, we are finding things difficult. And Jesus says, listen, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He knows our names, he knows our friends. And just like he walked towards this man, he wants to walk towards us to take care of those needs. My friends, I want you to understand he's only able to do that because right now in Mark chapter 5, he is on his way to Jerusalem to take care of our greatest need. And our greatest need isn't actually what we're thinking about right now. Our greatest need is the reality that we are far more like the demon-possessed man than we care to realize. See, prior to salvation, we are not all demonized like this man was. Prior to salvation, we are not all crying out and cutting ourselves like this man was. And yet prior to salvation, our situation is nonetheless desperate and horrible, just like this man's was. In Ephesians chapter two, this is what the word of God tells us. It says, as for you, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, and the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Oh my. My friends, we need to understand prior to salvation, just like this man, prior to salvation, we also reside among the dead. We were dead in our transgressions and sins. We lived in the tombs. We were dead and blind. We had no way out of it. We were by very nature then cut off from God prior to salvation. And prior to salvation, quite frankly, we were too far beyond human help. No human being can rock into our world and just solve everything for us. We're too far beyond that. We're just like this demon-possessed man. Our individual stories may be different, but our situation is the same. We reside among the dead, we are cut off from God, and we are beyond human help. But the truth of the Bible and the truth of this text is that hope has come. In his grace, he has come over in a boat to the shores of your life. And he's here this morning to help you understand, I've come for you. I've arrived at your life. I've arrived at the shores of your story to help you and aid you. See, the Bible teaches us that God has made us. He made us to find our identity in him, our joy in him. He's made us actually for relationship with him. That's how we are okay. Okay. When we understand who made us and we enjoy that relationship for ourselves the problem is each and every one of us the bible tells us have not wanted that each and every one of us have rejected that I don't want to be okay with you I want to be okay with what you've made I'm going to I don't want the king I want the kingdom I want to enjoy everything that you have made but I don't want you I want you out of my life and I just want to blame you for lots of things but I want to have all this stuff and the fruit of that guess what we're not okay are we Look around, read the papers, watch the news. It isn't all great. This world is a broken down world because us in our humanity rejected God. We decided we don't want you. I want your kingdom, but I do not want your king. Because of that, everybody is their own king. And because of that, this world is a broken down world. And in truth, we are a broken down people. Which is why all the way around the world we have to have days like Are You OK Days? This wasn't the way it was meant to be. But in some ways, this is the fruit of living in a broken down world, with broken down bodies, and with people that have a broken down relationship with God Himself, the one who made us and gives us identity and purpose and relationship and hope and encouragement as our Father. But we rejected that. And the Bible tells us because we rejected that, we are cut off from him. But then it tells us this. That God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish and have eternal life. It tells us that while you were at your messed up state, He got a group of guys to row towards you. And he gets off the boat and he says, hey, I've come for you. I've come to try and help you. And that's what he's doing right here in this text. He is helping people. But ultimately, his ultimate help will be hanging on a cross at Calvary, saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The Bible's clear, my friends, that he died as our substitute. And it's through faith in him as our substitute that we get to have our relationship with God back, which is what ultimately makes us oh. We're cut off from him, but he came to rescue us so that we wouldn't need to be cut off anymore. The Bible tells us that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that he rose again, then we will be saved. What that means is when we put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we know what it is to be forgiven of our sin, to be washed clean of our sin. We know what it is to have a relationship with the Father again that we were always made for. We know what it is to know in our lives that I've been adopted into the very family of God and that heaven will be my home. Does that mean then if we go ahead and make that step that our life will be rosy and perfect in every way? No, But what it does mean is in that moment, everything changes. Because you know, I've been forgiven of my sin. Heaven will be my home. I've been adopted into the family of God. Sometimes then he steps into our lives and he completely changes our lives. And other times he steps into our life and says, my grace will be sufficient for you and I will walk with you each and every day. But any which way, you are walking towards a heavenly home where he will wipe away every tear from your eyes and make all things right. Whoever you are. And whatever your story, in Jesus, there is always a hope. And what a beautiful hope he is. My friends, don't put off another day knowing him as your Lord and Savior. Are you okay? If not, Jesus is your only answer. And how kind of him to bring you here today. So that he can get off the boat and walk towards you and say, I'm here for you. Just like the demon-possessed man. I'm here for you. I've come for you. To seek and save the lost. Listen, in Jesus, my friends, hope has come. And if you're here today and you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, my friends, I want to encourage you then just in closing, in Jesus, we all have a wonderful story to tell. This demon-possessed man just wanted to be with Jesus. I don't know about you, but the longer I spend in this broken down world, the more I get it. There's times in my life where I just wish if I could go be in heaven now, I'll go like now. I'm done. My wife always says, let's get to heaven tired. I'm like, honey, I'm tired. I'm ready. I'm I'm done. I've been giving it everything. I get this guy. I just want to be with Jesus. I just want to be with you. I'm, I'm I'm all in. I'm all in. I just want to be with you. But the truth is we're still living and breathing with our hearts still going. Because he's saying, hey, listen, this isn't your time. And there's friends for you to tell. There's people in our world for you to tell. I came to seek and save the lost as the Father has sent me, so I now send you. I want you to go tell them. Tell them what I've done for you. In Romans 10, verse 13 through 15, we read, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What great news. Everyone. But how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. My friends, we increasingly live in a world that is broken. Turn on the television, read the papers, it is bust. We're not even allowed to say anymore what a man and a woman is. It is bust. Things are breaking down. We are increasingly getting further and further away from what this word of God is, which is God's foundational truths for humanity. But we have a hope. We have a truth. We have a story to tell people that makes sense of their life, that makes sense of the world, and ultimately can save them by the grace of God. My friends, I want to encourage you then. May we have beautiful feet before the Lord. Where it says here, who's going to preach without being sent? It's true. John chapter 20. As the Father has sent me, so know I send you. Just like this demon possessed man, we've all been sent. So if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to word you. Go tell your story. Into an increasingly hopeless world. You have a hope to tell. Tell of it. And may people marvel in the Lord as a result. Let's pray. Jesus, I do thank you for saving that poor man. Lord, as we get in the story, my heart goes out to this man. What must his life be? Have been like. What must it have been like. To be alone in the day. And alone in the night. Cutting yourself in anguish. What must it have been like. To scream out into the dark. And have no one shout back. But you came towards him. You came to the country of the Gerasenes. It would appear for one man in this moment. To save him to change his life, to give him a hope, to give him a future. Lord, I thank you that you've done by your grace the same for us. You haven't left us alone as orphans. You've come to us on the greatest rescue mission ever told. Oh Lord, I pray that there wouldn't be any individual in the room then that leaves today saying, I'm not okay. I have no hope. I pray we would all recognize that we all have a hope And his name is Jesus. You are the hope of the world. And we love you for it. And we'll be forever grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm just going to invite Andrew up. He's got um, something to
1: share with us. Just as I was um, singing this morning, um, I just had uh, this impression that the uh, Lord um, brought to mind. Um, it's a picture, a, a picture of um, someone who is um, standing on the edge of a cliff, and there's an ocean out in front, and the waves are roaring, and it's crashing against the rocks down the bottom of a cliff. And... Um, but in particular, this person is, is, is feeling they're at an end in terms of, um, being able to, uh, to, to love and, and, and be loved. Um, and I sort of sense that God is, 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 um, saying, um, He wants to, to fill that person's heart with, um, with a love, capacity to, to feel loved and, and to love others. Um and that person may be sitting uh in, in this in the midst here this morning. And he has this verse um from one John um chapter four, verse ten, and it says this In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another.
0: How good is it that we have a God who loves us? You know, there is hope for that person. There's hope for us, even if we feel like we've come to the end of ourselves. I was remarking how, as they were preaching, Jesus crossed the lake for this one guy. He actually got kicked out in the next verse, right? He left. He, he crossed that entire lake just to find this one person. And in the same way,
1: he's coming after us. Let's, let's stand and sing about this amazing hope we have in this Savior who came after us.